Take a girl and a guy, and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate, a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Be sure to check us out online on our Facebook page, Couple Synergy, or our website, couplesynergy.com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring you our experiences working with thousands of couples for nearly 20 years. You know, everyone says you should work on a relationship, but nobody teaches us how. So we've created this podcast to teach people what they can do to create the relationship they've always dreamed of with the partner they fell in love with. In this episode, we will be talking about spirituality. A topic that I'm very passionate about. You are very passionate about it and very knowledgeable about it as well. So this is going to be a little bit different of a podcast because I'm kind of going to be interviewing you uh, specifically on spirituality Mm -hmm. and how you integrate spirituality into the work that we do. Mm -hmm. So let's start with the number one question that you ask all your clients. In the second session, I ask all my clients... What is your belief about why people are here on earth and what happens when we die? Two very big questions. And you ask those questions because why? Why is that important? Because I found that it's the single greatest determining factor for how they get through difficult things in their life. If they answer that question with something that they not only believe in, but they live by, then they're usually doing fairly well in getting through the difficult parts of life. Or they're at least trying to, like they see the, that there's a bigger plan in place. People that don't tend to be anxious and depressed. So what about people who believe that once we die, we're done? That's it. We're, we're gone. We're off this face of the earth. Yeah, because there's only really two ways to answer that question, right? That's one. We're a fluke of something. Nothing matters. Nothing means anything. And when we die, we're dead. And to those people, I would say, go do whatever makes you happy. So just live in the moment. Doesn't matter. Make sure each moment yeah. you are happy. Therapy is really not for someone like that. For someone that doesn't believe that anything matters, what's the point? Why, why, do, why go through the pain of figuring out yourself or your life or finding purpose or meaning? Well, why try to change right. at all? Right, exactly. Right, if everything's just going to happen to you and you are not in the driver's seat, well then why even waste the time and money? Right. And the people who do say they believe that, but are in therapy, they don't live it. Okay. They live as though things do have meaning and that there are consequences and that stuff matters. And so it's usually they don't know or haven't been taught anything about what this possibly could be about. And they want things to be done, done when they're, when they die. They don't want this. They don't want the thought that this could go on and be more painful. So someone who believes that, let's say, you know, we were both raised Catholic. So someone Mm -hmm. who has, you know, kind of Catholic beliefs, um, how do they fare in, in therapy and counseling? 
Well, the Catholic story or kind of the global Christian, Judeo-Christian story, actually the Jewish religion doesn't touch this topic at all. They say we don't know, except for the Kabbalists, who actually have my favorite story. But the Christian religions say, you know, God made us. He made us not perfect. He has a plan. He put us in an imperfect world. And in the end, he's going to judge us and put us in heaven or hell. So that sounds really crappy that sounds to terrible. me, you know, and so it doesn't touch the piece about really, why are we here? And th those religions would say, don't ask that question. They would say, God has a plan. We're not supposed to know. Right. Which we don't know. No, none of us do. <laughs> right. None of us really have the answer about right. what's going to happen after mm -hmm. we die. At some point in our life, we will find that out. But not right now. No. And the other thing I think is important if we die and we're dead, but believing that there's more and that our life is on purpose makes you happier here, I think it's still a win. So I've heard people say, well, I, I just don't know. Yeah. I don't know what happens. And then I usually say, well, my favorite story is what the Kabbalists believe. Would you like me to share that with you? Please do. So they say that in the beginning was God and coming from God was light. And that the nature of light is to share and to be the cause of everything. And... The whole universe was filled with light, but it had nothing to share with. So a vessel was created, and we're the vessel. Not just human beings, but all of creation. And the nature of the vessel is to receive what the light wants to share and to be the effect of the cause. So they give this analogy that you go golfing, and you hit the ball, and it goes right in the hole. You hit it backwards, sideways, it goes right in the hole because you're not the cause. The light is. So if you want the ball to go in the hole, the light goes, okay, I'm going to make sure that happens. And that is what most religions call something like the Garden of Eden. All your needs are met. All Everything you want is taken care of, except don't eat the forbidden fruit. So everything's perfect except for one thing. Except for one thing. That you're supposed to stay away from. Right. And so if the vessel is sort of like a coffee cup and you pour coffee in a coffee cup, the cup changes. It becomes warm. It can become discolored. And so as this vessel, we were receiving this light and we started to change. And that's the forbidden fruit. We, we became aware. And so they give this other analogy that you go and play tennis every week with a friend for 10 years. And every week for 10 years, your friend wins. And then after 10 years, you finally win. How do you feel? I feel great. Hooray. And then you hear your friend telling everybody that they let you win. And now I feel terrible. Yeah, that's what the Kabbalists would call the bread of shame. And the bread of shame is all the darkness in the universe that came from our awareness that what we are is the seed of a creator and creating is the one thing that human beings do that nothing else on this planet does and nobody teaches us how. If you give a little kid a stick, they will turn it into a magic wand or a sword or an airplane that nobody teaches us that we just do it and we can't stop creating. And so we were living in a condition that became very painful because we couldn't become what we were supposed to become in the same way that an acorn is supposed to become an oak tree. And so, and this is my favorite part of the story, we said to God, don't give us any more light. We want mm -hmm. to do it ourselves. We want free will, which means we can choose bad things in order to be free to choose good things. And that the nature of what happens from there is, is what they believe is the big bang, is the vessel blowing up into all of this. And that we're here to try to figure out how to hold the light, how to be the cause, and how to share and how to work through our darkness. So how do clients usually respond to this story? And, and we're talking about clients that have a 
plethora of mm-hmm. religious and spiritual beliefs, right? Yeah. You know, I think that most people feel like they know what truth is when they hear it. And I know I felt that way when I heard that story. I felt like, I remember thinking, I wonder if that made God sad when we said, don't share any more light with us and let us do it ourselves. And then you think, well, your kids do that, right? You want to go tie their shoes really quick. And they're like, no, I want to do it myself or whatever is the thing that's like in our nature to want to do it ourselves. And so I, that was my one thing was like, I wonder if that hurt, hurt God's feelings that we blocked it. You know, and then I also say to people, do you pray? And some people say, yeah, I pray. I said, do you ever feel like God's up there saying, and you get a baby and you get a house that burns down and you get this or you get that. And they're like, no, they say, I feel like something's listening, but I don't feel like it's intervening. And so it becomes a greater part of like maybe that truth. And I also say to them, I will change my mind if I learn something new. You know, I only learned about the Kabbalist belief maybe eight or nine years ago. So I'm sure there's other things I haven't heard yet that might integrate different concepts. But to me, that's that one gives me a good um, working format to go from. So what about people who don't believe in God? Right? They believe that there's something, mm-hmm. but not necessarily God. Yeah, and I'm not so sure what I believe either about all that. A a thing that's uncomprehensible to us that we cannot understand. I don't think God is like a little guy in a box somewhere doing something. I think it's more of uh, an energy or a, a source of something, a law of some kind. I don't think it's something we can really comprehend or understand. So I'm not so concerned with that kind of concept Mm -hmm. as much as I am concerned about someone's ability to listen to their own truth and to follow something that seems greater than them. And I think we have a biofeedback system that tells us that tells us when we're in truth and that tells us when we're doing the, the thing that is in our highest good or if we're doing the thing that's not. So that word source, I mean, I've heard that before. Wayne Dyer has used that word, Mm -hmm. you know, to describe where we've come from and he uses that example of a body of water right and you take out some of that water but when we die we return back to our source Mm -hmm. right yeah and so is this different or this kind of belief system is this different than religion absolutely in what way um religion is typically for groups and they have rules that kind of teach us how to be with each other not to lie, not to kill, not to steal. Religion also wants to put a definition on what God is. And because of that, you know, that Wayne Dyer would talk about God being something that is indivisible, that you can't, once you name it, you separate it from itself. And once you do that, you lose the essence of the potentiality of what it is. So religions try to Uh, I think they try to superimpose human qualities onto whatever that is. And then they decide if it's loving or judgmental or whatever, based, I think, on their own projections of things. So how do you integrate this particular spiritual work into the couple's work that we do? So I think that Socrates said... An unexamined life is not a life worth living. That's true. And if that's the precursor 
of creating a meaningful life, of understanding why you've gone through what you've gone through. And I think when you're talking about really big topics, I don't see how you make any sense of it at all without spirituality. You know, when a mother comes to you and her child is dead, or someone comes to you and they've had a horrible abuse, mm-hmm. I don't think you can just somehow say that's something you can just get over unless you're talking about that bigger spiritual picture of why would you have to go through something like that and answer those tough questions. And I think when you do that, what you do is you start to eliminate what I believe is shame in us, the shame that comes from what we were domesticated or taught about ourselves that we kept a secret because it felt horrible to talk about. I think this is why AA people, Alcoholics Anonymous, go to those meetings and they share what they feel ashamed of because then it loses its grip on you. And when it loses its grip on you, it's replaced with something like love and peace. And so how could you possibly show up in a relationship with another human being without doing your own work like that? Because everyone knows that you can only accept as much love as you believe you're worth, right? As much as you love yourself. And so I think that spiritual development, the highest form of it, and and let's just say spiritual development is the the attempting to have the highest level of conscious contact with the divine, knowing yourself in a way that you know that you are part of all that there is. And the Essenes, 2,500 years ago, they wrote this book. And in that book, it says that the hardest thing for a human being to do is love themselves. Isn't that crazy? It's not like climb Mount Everest or fly to the moon. (laughs) It's love yourself, which we all know is quite a struggle, right? And if you can't do that, there's no way that you can share love with anyone else. Right. And so when you learn more about yourself, you know, the, the Essene concept is that what if God, it was this concept that we created that we created this being that knew everything. It knew not only everything you did, whether anyone else saw you do it or not, it knew everything you thought and everything you felt. And if this being could then love you unconditionally, then maybe they can reflect to you a possibility that you could unconditionally love yourself and then another human being, which is really hard. Extremely difficult. I remember one year, it was the year we went to Tahiti, 2013 maybe? That sounds about right. And I had made a New Year's resolution that I was going to try to love everybody. (laughs) And on January 2nd, we got on an airplane. (laughs) And I couldn't do it. (laughs) Couldn't love everyone? No, no, no. (laughs) And I think airplanes are kind of one of those situations where... You know, it's easy to pretty challenging. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's easy to be a spiritual person in church or in your meditation room all by yourself. But very hard when you got a little five year old (laughs) kick in the back of your (laughs) seat when you're flying. Exactly. And and it is, it's really, really a hard thing to do Mm -hmm. to stay in that place of love and compassion and understanding and peace. And it's hard to have it within your own oh, just within your own thinking right? Uh, our minds are crazy. It, you know, it reminds me of that one client that I had that was a Buddhist monk. And I love telling the story because, you know, he spent many, many years in the monastery. Is it called a monastery? Yeah, temple, I maybe. So. I, I think, think it's a temple, a right? 
um, meditating for days and hours on end. And then he comes to the United States for a conference and runs into like this, this old girlfriend that he had when he was younger. And then he leaves the monkhood and gets married. And then he comes to us because, you know, they're having marital problems. And the one thing he said to me is that being a monk and meditating in a room by yourself for days and hours on end is easy compared to having a relationship. I would 100% agree. It, it, it's just a crazy concept. It is a crazy right? concept. And yeah. when, I, when I heard that, I think my, my jaw dropped open. And you know what's really crazy is we prefer it. We prefer not to be alone than to be alone and be peaceful. <laughs> right. That's kind of an interesting concept, right? Well, there, there are people that are very afraid of being alone, mm -hmm. right? So they move from one relationship to another. Dysfunctional relationships, yeah. you know, to be exact. The other thing I like about spirituality is it really puts the onus squarely on the shoulders of the person who is capable of making the change, which is always the self. So instead of blaming mm -hmm. your partner, you have to take responsibility for yourself. Yeah. You know, and regardless of what that is, even if it's something that you didn't do. You know, the reason it's so important to take personal responsibility is because that's how we're designed to heal. You know, if you're driving down the street, driving down a main street and you're texting and you go up on the sidewalk and you run some guy over and break his leg, whose fault is it? It's your fault. 100%, right? Right. That guy's completely innocent. What if he would say to you, you broke me, you wear the cast. You go to physical therapy. Completely unrealistic. Right. Because you could do that even if you feel bad and wanted to. It just isn't going to help him heal at all. So we can hurt each other and we can break each other, but we can't heal each other. And I think that's really awesome because could you imagine if you had to wait around for everyone who ever hurt you to come back and take responsibility in order You'd for you You'd be to waiting a long time. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we see this a lot when we're working with couples that they're pointing the finger at each other mm -hmm. and waiting for the other person to apologize, to take responsibility, and they're not really looking at what they have responsibility for in the relationship. Right, because as human beings, we see out. We don't see in. And so we can see all the problems that our partner should change. <laughs> right. But we can't see our own. You know, actually, I wanted to say something to you about that the other day you were kind of having a rough day mm -hmm. and you were a little down on yourself and you were sort of beating yourself up with some mantras that I had heard in there. Some of the things that I've said to you, things that I might've said jokingly, right. I, I don't think, but I think we have to be really careful with when we can take care with each other's, our judgment of other people and our, are words that come out harsher or they stab deeper than we intend them to. Because when it really matters is when it all comes back up and it sucks. And I wanted to say I'm sorry to you for that. Well, thank you. And, you know, I've done that to you in the past too. And this is something that couples do to each other mm -hmm. all the time. It's very right. easy, right, to say something or to do something that is going to cut deep, you know, but if we are going to, we're going to go from that place of everything happens for a reason, right? And 
around the same topic of what we're talking about today, spirituality, then there's a reason for pain. There's a reason for that uncomfortableness that couples go through and the pain that they cause in each other. Absolutely. I hope so. Because we all have it, right? Right. You know, in the book that um, my story's featured in, Overcoming Mediocrity, that's coming out this December, I kind of talk about that, that concept that, you know, what is the point of allowing yourself to be in pain in a relationship? And pain is really our greatest potential to figure out where we can grow from. And I think Carl Jung, you know, the, is he a psychologist or psychiatrist? Psychiatrist. Swedish? Swiss? Swiss or Austrian? You know, and he, he talks about archetypes and he talks about how to use archetypal concepts in order to figure out what we need and how to grow from that place. Right. And that's one of the ways that I work with people is I'll show them, you know, here's some of the archetypes you came here to work on. And when they see that, they're like, oh, it makes so much sense. My life is not just random and I'm being picked on. I'm actually going through these things because it's trying to make me stronger, help me grow. That is an amazing place when we can get clients to say that and they can realize that. I think, though, initially, a lot of them are angry and they can't see beyond the anger. Absolutely. Or or hurt, right? They can't see beyond the hurt as well. Well, I certainly don't like it when it's back in my face. No. When I'm mad at some at someone or something, or I don't like the way something's turned out, and I have to face myself and go, okay, why is this happening for me? What can I, how can I grow through this versus mm-hmm. this really sucks? <laughs> I don't like it either. <laughs> right, right. You know, the one thing that I say to people is, you know, the clients I'm working with is don't ask the, the question why, because most often you're not going to get a good answer from that. Right. But if you ask the question of, what am I supposed to learn? Mm-hmm. You know, then it puts it in a framework or a perspective that, you know, you can make sense of the challenge and, you know, the difficulties you're going through. And I think especially from the spiritual perspective. Right, right. Which if you don't have, you know, this sense that everything happens for a reason or that there is, you know, something greater than yourself, I think it'd be very difficult you know, to answer that question about what you're supposed to learn. Absolutely. Especially when you look at just the horrible, horrible, horrible ways that human beings have treated each other since the beginning of time. And amazing, amazing how much we can actually so creatively hurt another human being. Mm-hmm. So sad. But, you know, only a human being that's hurting will hurt another human being. Right, right. And that's why spirituality is such an important concept because spirituality literally requires you to become an observer of your own life through meditation, through mindfulness, through answering those difficult questions and finding greater spiritual truths. We can get to a different place only through that pathway. We will never get there looking outside of ourselves, but we're taught that as children look outside of ourselves, but there's no answers out there. So what if a couple have different spiritual beliefs? Well, I think we do. In what way? I'm more likely to turn towards those type of techniques when I want to change my life. Mm-hmm. And when I want to feel better, I tend to push away 
things and go deeper inward where I think you kind of try to do the opposite? Well, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that. I mean, I think that we have in the past used similar spiritual techniques, meditation specifically, mm -hmm. yeah. I should say, right? To kind of connect with that, that greater purpose inside, right? And, and I think we do have similar spiritual beliefs as well, that there is something greater and that there is a purpose and meaning for what we're doing. Otherwise, I don't think we would be doing what we're doing and, and trying to reach out to people and help people in, in you know, a greater way. You know, they say in, in the yogic tradition that it is a sin to teach someone who's not ready or willing to learn. And I think with couples, I think that's where it gets difficult. And in particularly, not particularly for us, no, no one likes to hear what they should be doing from their partner. Right. We just don't like it. You know? No. You could hear it from a stranger. You could hear it on the TV. You could hear it somewhere else. Well, human beings just in general don't right. like to be told what to do. Right. And, you know, I think for you, you were really told what to do a lot as a child. Mm -hmm. And so I think when I started learning and discovering these things, I think my, my path really began when we started the lighthouse in 2002 and you asked me if there was something, some discipline I wanted to get, you know, certified in. And I said, I really want to learn hypnosis. And I think you gave it to me as a gift for Christmas. Oh yeah, I guess yeah. I did. And once I learned that, it opened up this whole other world of working with people. And it didn't do that. You weren't part of that. No. You didn't learn that at that time. And, you know, along the way, I became, you know, a certified Reiki master and a electromagnetic field balancing practitioner. I studied numerology. I studied tarot. I started, studied archetypes. And for me, it was such an exciting way to, like, conceptualize how to work with someone both consciously and subconsciously and energetically. Mm -hmm. um, but it was really hard to talk to you about it because you didn't want to for a long time. I had absolutely no knowledge, you know, of all of those. I mean, I, I have some of it, knowledge of it now, mm -hmm. but still, you know, this is kind of an area of expertise that you have. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't make sense to me. Sometimes I can't really understand you know, the concepts and, and conceptualize it in that way. You know, and I think you became one of my first um, guinea pigs in, oh, in learning these concepts and trying to practice, you know, like I practiced past life regression hypnosis with you and I practiced doing contracts with you and you weren't ready for it. So I don't think you really heard what it was really about. And I think that's still why it doesn't make sense to you. Because you weren't ready. And, and that was, if I had more awareness as a developing spiritual healer, I would have known what I was doing was wrong. I, I think there's also a, a big stereotype, mm -hmm. you know, and connotation with those areas like spiritual healing and energy medicine, the big stereotype around it that it's not science-based or it's not, you know, it's made up. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that, I mean, first of all, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lack of knowledge. Absolutely. You know, for mm -hmm. people, they don't really understand it. But second of all, I, I think there's also people don't, who are practitioners that don't understand it as well. I agree with that. Yeah. And that's a really hard thing. I think there are people who 
use it as a way to escape and they escape into the spiritual world and they want to solve all their problems up there instead of bringing that down here and dealing with it in the physical world, in the physical body. And I find those people the most difficult to work with, even more difficult to work with than people who have no spiritual belief. So you're talking about people who try to find some outside responsibility or mm -hmm. someone else, something right. outside of themselves to right. take responsibility for the challenges that they're going through. Right. It's almost like an addiction where they're looking for something outside of themselves to make themselves feel better. But it's a false, it's a false way of using things, you know? So let's say someone's very religious and you are jobless and they would tell you, why don't you just pray about it? And praying about it's a good idea, but so is filling out a job application and putting yourself out there and doing some other things in the real world to also help yourself and not just go in a room by yourself and, and meditate. I think a lot of times those are more ways that we don't face difficult things if we're using it in that way. So it's a way of saying you're doing something about your life, but you're not really? Yeah. Okay. The other thing I think that happens is so much of this is people's intuition, right? So I remember start when I started studying the chakra system and I'd read a book I'm like, oh, great. And then I'd read another book and it would contradict the first book. And I'd read a third book and it would contradict the first two. And, and they were all coming from really that, that concept of, you know, how do five blind people describe an elephant? <laughs> if one's holding the trunk and one's on the side and one's on the toe, you know, right. they're all describing the same thing, but in many different ways. And for me, I always get a little scared when I, when I hear someone say, anything absolute when it comes to spirituality. Hmm. So if you say you always have to do this, then right. that's really someone else's truth mm -hmm. in that spectrum of where they are touching the elephant, so, so to speak. And then the, the other person goes through like more of a formula than learning their own intuition and their own language in their own spirituality. So that's interesting because, you know, I, what I could equate that to is the psychology field, right? In the psychology field, there are many different disciplines or modalities of therapy. Contradictory ones. Contradictory ones. Absolutely. And there are, there are people that practice one modality and say that all the other modalities are not correct. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, that their modality is the only way of doing therapy. And I would say psychology gets the same sort of bad rap about not being scientific. And for right. that reason. Right. Because it is someone's observations. And it's about intuition as well. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Good therapists, they have good intuition. Mm -hmm. And on top of it, they're able to take responsibility for their own shortcomings. Yeah. You know, when I'm teaching people how to work like this. I know nobody actually can or does, but they can do, they can use that in their toolbox of other ways that they work with people because it's all about how you're building rapport with people and interacting with people. You know, as an example, you know, I do energy healing, right? Mm -hmm. Why is it that I can do the exact same type of treatment on one person and they have a very profound experience and it changes their life? And another person, nothing. Mm -hmm. 
And the same is true in the psychology field, right? You can have the same like exercise or tool with one right. person right. that has a great experience. The other person doesn't believe you at all. Well, in the psychology field, it's up to the person whether they're willing to accept it or not. Right. right. And so I think that it's also, you know, when you do things like uh, hypnotize people or guide meditation or do energy work, you have to go to a really cool place inside of yourself to do that. And sometimes the place inside of myself where I go and do that work is a little noisy. Yeah, it's noisy for all of us, <laughs> I think. And what I found is sometimes that noise is coming from the person I'm working on. And sometimes that noise is coming from the room I'm in. And sometimes the noise is coming from within. And it's really interesting to, and this is where the skill comes in of focusing yourself. And I'll find myself just chanting the person's name over and over again and just stay present to get rid of everything that's not needed in this moment. And so it is, I think when you're talking about spiritual healing, there are people who are really good at it, which typically means they've gotten their ego 100% out of the way. And they are allowing whatever's for the highest good of all concerned to take place. And they're holding a space. And that space they're holding, it's up to the person for that healing to come in or not. In the same way, a medical doctor will create an environment, you know, set your broken bone a certain way and put a cast on it and create a great healing mm -hmm. environment. But if you're not doing the work, you're not getting enough sleep, you're not eating correctly, yep. you're not going to heal your own body, mm -hmm. right? So that makes sense. I mean, it, you know, it's not the he energy healer or healing practitioner that's doing the work. It's a partnership, right? right? And mm -hmm. that the person who is receiving that treatment, they also have to be allowing it, right? right. Mm -hmm. And working with it too. Yeah, it's, I love working like this because what I found, and, and this is true in either direction, I will not work with someone who comes in and they say, I only want you to hypnotize me. I want you to hypnotize me to lose weight and quit smoking yeah. or change some. I don't want to have low self-esteem. It's not going to work. No, I won't do it. They, they're yeah. looking for that as something outside of them to take care of something and not do their work. Right. In the same way, if I'm working with, with talk therapy and teaching them these other concepts and they go through a transformative shift and then we can clear it from their energy field or help them restructure their, you know, in your brain, you can restructure your wiring through meditation and hypnosis, which is, you know, Joe Dispenzia has a lot of great information on that. Mm -hmm. I think he's um, going to have a TV show on that called Rewired. Cool. But those are things that, again, you will override every time instantly if you're not kind of working in both realms, if you haven't done your work. Well, if the pessimist comes out too in right. some people, you will override it as well. But, you know, with couples, I really don't find that they're too far apart from each other. And I think with us, we just have a different language mm -hmm. that we talk about very similar things. And I use more of language of, you know, that are more spiritually based terms. Right. You use more psychological based terms. Mm -hmm. I remember you came home from school, you're working on your doctorate and you're like, did you know that three areas of the brain need to be activated in order for there to be a memory? Right. Do you remember saying that to me? In in order for there to be a memory, in order for the brain to actually start moving in that direction of creating it, yeah. And I said to you, well, do you know that the number three is about self-expression and creativity? <laughs> and that, you know, and, <laughs> and I was 
coming right back in the same concept from numerology. Mm-hmm. And it was a really interesting moment. And I think that there's some easy pairings that you can do. That's why I really love Carolyn Mace's work, uh, Anatomy of the Spirit, mm-hmm. because she talks about the Christian uh, system of the seven sacraments and then the tree of life and the seven layers in the tree of life. And tree of life is Kabbalah. Judaism, mm-hmm, Kabbalah. Okay. There's 10 um, seraphs, but there's seven layers in the seraphs because they're on the same continuum, some of them. Mm-hmm. And then she describes the chakra system through that language, which is a language I learned as a kid. I learned the seven sacraments. So I could understand what that was. And she was saying, you know, the sacraments are really a spiritual pathway. And I was like, wow, I never heard of that before or heard how to use that, you know? Yeah. And so I think that's what's true in a lot of things. It really is, you know, the five blind people describing an elephant. And, and that's what religions have tried to do is take their peace and say, this is it. When I think it is part of it. Or it's a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It's not the only way, mm-hmm. but it's a way. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's a book that I love to recommend called The Untethered Soul. And in The Untethered Soul, it talks about this concept of the lunatic that lives in your brain. And yeah. it says, you know, if you just listen to the voices in your head, you'll notice that your mind will choose a topic and run with it. And then when it gets uncomfortable, it'll choose the exact opposite side of the same argument and run with that. And then they say, which one are you? And neither one of them is you. You are the one that's observing. You're watching this monkey jumping around in your brain all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we need to get in touch with. And that's what happens when you close your eyes and you go inside, you start to observe. And the number one rule of meditation is to become an observer of yourself. Mm -hmm. Which is a very scary thing for a lot of people, right? Especially when we grow up in a society that tells you to uh, please everyone else, get straight A's and good things will happen in your life. Make a certain amount of money, good things will happen. Look a certain way, good things will happen. No one ever says, you know what, what do you think? What do you feel? How do you want to create your life? What do you want to do? Why are you here? Because I don't think we were here to go to school or get good jobs. Or to amass a huge wealth only to leave it behind when you die. Right. And so, yeah, there's not a lot of easy ways to stumble upon or learn spiritual techniques. And the other thing I've noticed in working with people, you know, really since 2002, three, I think I started working like this with people. It was very early on in our company. And people kept coming back whenever they got stuck because they wanted to refocus themselves to get back on that path of growth because everything alive is either growing or dying. Right. And when we get stuck in life, it's the worst feeling. I know it is for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I feel like you're just stuck in quicksand. Yeah, like no matter what you feet. do, it's not working. You can't right. think yourself out of it. And so, you know, they always, they'll just walk in my office and they'll say, I just feel better being in this room. And I'll have them close their eyes and we do a a short meditation and they see themselves again. And that's the hardest thing. And I, I know you've been in a room plenty of times with people who aren't really in the room with you. Right. And they want to tell you stories 
and they want to explain every detail, but they themselves are absolutely checked out. Yeah, they're just completely distracted, mm-hmm. you know, in life completely. You know, it, it, it really uh, brings back the thoughts of Vipassana meditation. And I know we've talked about this in, you know, other podcast episodes. So let me ask you a question about that. Mm-hmm. Why did you decide to go? I think I had gotten to a point in my life that everything that I was doing or everything that I was trying to think my way out of was not working. And so I needed to kind of turn and face it on, head on. And it just seemed like everything, you know, in my life, just it opened up a pathway for it to happen. After meditation? Well, no, I'm just saying. Oh, your life was a pathway to get to meditation? Yeah, everything that was going on in my life, Mm -hmm. it just, it just parted. Everything parted and... I now had this opportunity in front of me. It's it's kind of like it was, you know, life was saying it's time, right? And that, that I could not move forward in my life mm-hmm. unless I had. It sounds very similar to what Wayne Dyer would say about when you're in the afternoon of life, it just calls you. Right. And you just have to go along with it. It's not something you chase or something you can force. That That's really interesting, yeah. But yeah, going through, you know, 10 days of meditation and not talking to anyone and being completely shut out from the world, um, you do a lot of self-exploration and everything that you have been avoiding in your life hits you like a tidal wave. It just, the, the dam breaks and everything just hits you head on. Yeah. And, and I think that... I think that that is what is necessary for couples to really break through, you know, the, the glass ceiling that they create for themselves in order to really connect with each other. And, it, and it's not a surprise that, you know, the statistics out there show that a common spiritual belief is necessary for couples to have a healthy, happy relationship. They don't say common religious belief, but common spiritual belief. You know, I feel that since you've done Vipassana and, you know, I did it 10 years ago, that there's something about you that I now can connect to. And maybe it is that concept of whatever you connected to within yourself Mm -hmm. that I always felt like there was a disconnect for a long time in, in a certain depth of our relationship and you know I have this really lofty belief that the highest form of spiritual development really is to be in that sacred relationship with another human being and I, I, I totally believe that too yeah, yeah. and yeah. I think since you've done Vipassana which has been a little over a year now mm-hmm. you and I have hit higher levels of greater spiritual connection than we ever have and I think along those same lines, greater levels of pain has come up for healing, would you say? Sure, absolutely. I mean, this is a, you know, a different level, a different transition, and with that comes different lessons to learn. I, I feel through our relationship and through 
letting that pain that's inside of me come up and sharing that with you, maybe blasting that at you sometimes. (laughs) But then you've handled it in, in a way that you applied some of that emotional and spiritual first aid that I feel more healed in a way than I ever have in my life. Right. You know, this transition we're going through, some people would minimize it and say it's like menopause, but right. um, it's way more than that. Yeah. Right. And this spiritual growth that you are talking about, I, I think that couples that are in this place in life that we're in right now, you know, we're empty nesters, you know, we are starting a new business and we're at the age that we're at. I think that most people, they don't really expect this, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't. no, they don't expect it. And yeah. two, they don't have the tools necessary to kind of get to that next level because maybe they don't even know that there is a next level. I, I don't feel like I was equipped for what I was going through. And then, you know, one of the things that I kind of would explain, and we're talking about menopause now. Like, but it is a spiritual experience. If you listen to Christian Northrup, who is a OBGYN that um, has a lot of, she wrote a book called Menopause. She wrote a book called Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom. She would say that menopause is the process of birthing your soul. And she would talk about that from the biology perspective that in your brain, your amygdala, which governs your fight, flight, or freeze response, begins to soften. And your amygdala is also responsible for the way that you process emotional, emotionally traumatic memories. Mm. And sometimes we don't remember them at all. And then you start going through menopause and that starts to soften. And all of a sudden, some of this pain starts coming up. Right. And, you know, I thought I was going a little crazy. Mm. You know, I even kind of like, do I need medication? What's going on? I have no control over stuff. Where I've always had a really strong uh, ability to regulate my emotion. I wasn't able to at times and it was really scary. It felt like I was hijacked a little bit. Like I can attest (laughs) to that. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, and I feel so much better for so many reasons, but I would attribute 90% of it to the work that I was able to do with you Mm -hmm. and you helped me through. I agree. So we, we should talk a little bit about, Jim and Jan. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. that their episode couple. is coming up on Thursday. And, you know, there's a reason why we're talking about spirituality today. And, and it's because Jim and Jan went through um, a very pivotal moment mm-hmm. in their life. Yeah. In 2014, I believe, mm-hmm. Jan was diagnosed with stage four breast, breast cancer. cancer. Right. And the modern medicine world said, I'm sorry, we can't help you. There's nothing we can do for you. So it's not like they chose a different path. They had no choice. Yeah, no choice, right. And they spoke very highly of an energy worker, Mm -hmm. you know, that they worked with. And what's amazing is that she is in remission Mm -hmm. because of the work that she was doing with this energy healer. Yeah, and and I think Jim said he would attribute 80% of her healing to the work she did spiritually. And this story came out in the interview. We had no No, we didn't know she idea Mm -mm. of what they had gone through and that what she had gone through. But one 
one thing that really stood out for me is the the incident that they had where you know they had found out about her cancer and they were just really devastated and they were in two separate rooms and both of them had this voice say to them that everything is going to be okay yeah uh, such a spiritual separately but at the exact same time right yeah very you know, like a spiritual phenomena you know that occurred for both of them and it's amazing to hear their story and the way that they have gone through this yeah you know and that yeah you know they were able to connect at a spiritual level too yeah i, I think there is a sense of a knowing and this is why when people talk in absolutes about spirituality i really hate that because it doesn't allow for the own individual's intuitive knowingness to take shape, right? And you know, it's interesting to me about Jim, Jan and Jim, I knew them, or actually they knew me when I was a little girl. They're about 10 years older than me, mm -hmm. but I went to school with their brother, with Jan's brother. And so they remember me as like a little eight-year-old girl. Yeah. And in that time, men were very, um, pretty hard, pretty not spiritual, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they, <laughs> no. it was a lot. Of, men were very angry, straightforward, and chauvinistic, chauvinistic and, you know, right. okay. and Jim is like, I check in with my spiritual healer and she helps me. And the fact that he went from kind of being domesticated in that place where, you know, boys don't cry and, and be, you know, a tough guy right. to being open to that is really beautiful. I mean, just their relationship and the way they talk to and about each other is just really beautiful. And, you know, that's what we really want. That's way more important than the approval of your guy friends or mm -hmm. whatever else is out there. And they've know. been together a very long time. I mean, they mm -hmm. talk Since about their school. story mm -hmm. of, you know, how the relationship developed. And it was just kind of an amazing thing, you know, how they stayed together because they, they also were met with, um, uh, uh, you know, opposing views. Mm -hmm. of their relationship you know from their parents right. they didn't their parents didn't want them to be together and then they talk about you know their um, journey through adoption right. right not being able to have children and Jim was also an adopted child right and so for him it was almost a non-issue it was a really big deal for Jan though right and you know that's why I don't do spiritual healing for physical things that's not my realm of the way that I work with people for me it's much more on an emotional and spiritual basis and and a way to empower people and I know that being in a group and using group energy for meditation and healing is a really powerful thing to do which is why I'm really excited that soon we will have an online spiritual community that you know transformations is a group we started teaching in 2006, I think, something like that. Oh, I thought it was before that. It's at least that. It might be a little before that. Okay. Uh, and Transformations was a four-day spiritual practice we developed that helped people learn how to move through and shift their lives by going through a discipline, a spiritual discipline. And the online meditation, or the online spiritual community will have a live weekly meditation where we can be part of a healing community as well as spiritual teachings and um, a few other things that I probably haven't thought about yet or haven't started creating that we're going to co-lead together. 
And I'm really excited about that. We'll be building that on our website, couplesynergy.com. So it's a work in progress right now. But um, stay tuned. We will let you know, you know, when that launches. Yeah, if you want to stay up to date with that, make sure you get on our newsletter list at couplesynergy.com. Um, and then we'll be contacting people that way. But I'm hoping within ugh, the next two months, we're really busy right now moving the lighthouse. But I'm really, really excited. I, I find it enriches my life greatly to teach and to teach about those type of things and to create a space of community for people to share their own healing journey. I think it is something that is greatly lacking in our culture. We're very disconnected. So I'm really excited about that. So stay tuned. It will be coming soon. I want to thank you for joining us today and for listening to, if you're listening to the podcast, and thank you for viewing. Yeah, if you want to podcast, see this podcast on, in video, it's on it's YouTube. On YouTube. Mm -hmm. Yeah, on we our have couple, a few now. couple synergy channel on YouTube. So, um, Also, there's a few meditations on the Lighthouse Emotional Wellness Center's channel on YouTube. Uh, right. Some that Ray has done, some that I've done, guided meditation for certain things. And also um, on Couple Synergy. And we'll be sharing some of those meditations on the Couple Synergy YouTube as well. Right. So mm -hmm. um, just so you guys don't get confused and go from <laughs> one website to another. But So thank you very much for joining us today and, and listening to our, our podcast. Um, for all of you listening, please subscribe to the podcast. And please leave us a review on iTunes. We hope that by listening to this episode, it was not only beneficial for your life, but also your relationship. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couple Synergy and our programs such as Relationship 101, the Couples Weekend Intensive, and our premier program called Couple to Couple, look us up online at couplesynergy.com. You know, one thing I just want to mention really quick is Greg Braden's work. And if you go on YouTube and you put in The Power of Visualization by Greg Braden, it's a great 15-minute clip that sort of describes through scientific research how energy healing works. It's a really great video for you people that need the science behind it, which I think is really important. Well, there you go. There's a link. And if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please download it and share it. And thank you for listening. Until next time, synergize your life, synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez. <laughs>